0: Let's open to Revelation chapter 3. Appreciate those who helped me work on the truck this afternoon. One little part. Start it up. Screw the bed back on and we're done. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 Jesus is sending letters to the churches of the Revelation. And uh, he records these words for us. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. And he who has ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for tonight, just a chance to come aside and to worship you and uh, to fellowship together. And, Father, to study your word and to sing your praises. And, Father, I thank you that these that are here and, and Lord, their faithfulness, how it encourages me and others uh, to be faithful to you. And, Father, bless them because of that. And now, Father, teach us from your word in Christ's name. Amen. We could talk a lot about maybe what the problems are of the churches today in our land. And, you know, there's there's a lot of different things we could mention. You know, we could talk about, about finances. Uh, Some churches uh, never meet their budget, okay, and uh, uh, so that seems to be a thing. Some churches grow, and then they don't have enough space, and they're locked in to whatever space they have. Uh, Some don't have enough time and commitment and when I say that, I mean uh, there's only so much time to go around. It's not that people don't want to make a commitment to the church, but it better be something that's really important for them to sign on or they don't do that, okay? We can keep going on. There, there's the the problem of relevance. There's a problem of being uh, at odds with our society. Uh, there, there's a problem of uh, maybe not being loving enough to, towards uh, certain groups in our society. But whatever you want to do the problem. I think that Jesus spoke to what is probably a problem in our church as never before, not our church, but the churches of our day as never before, and that is the contented church, the church at ease. You see, these folks that he wrote to in Laodicea were happy with the way things were. They were satisfied with the right now. Uh, basically, They look back on their past deeds and they said, Look what we have done. And their uh, commitment sprang from three things that should have uh, uh, caused them to strive further. You need to know that, (coughs) first of all, Laodicea was a rich church, they had plenty of money, the Laodicean city was a rich city. All right, uh, they were rich because of basically two things. They talked about their clothing that he says you need to buy for me because they were naked, but they thought they had lots of clothes. The wool uh, grown on the Laodicea and hillsides was famous world round, and they shipped it all over the world and and became rich off of that. The second thing was the eye bomb. He said you can't even see. You need to buy the right bomb for me. But see, they had. Uh, Quote unquote, eye doctors there, and their eye bomb was sold all over the known world, and it was uh, sold for a lot of money. But these folks uh, had these things, but instead of it furthering them to the kingdom of God, it caused spiritual blindness. Basically, that's why Jesus said, You don't know that you're poor and wretched and naked and blind, okay? Now, I think that the main lesson for us today is realize. Uh, Be careful of contentment in a church because it can lead to spiritual blindness. We need to be careful of contentment in a church because it can lead to spiritual blindness. Uh, The way I hear it is expressed like this. Our Sunday school is so good we had, and you fill in the number, last year that was our average. Our budget is great. We've exceeded it every year. I wonder what that is like. Our fellowship is wonderful. We have more fun than any other church in the area. We baptized blank amount last year. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things. As a matter of fact, those things can be great things unless they cause spiritual pride. Because spiritual pride always leads to a downfall. And if we're satisfied rather than spurred on to even greater things, then we come to the point of being content. And you say, well, what's wrong with being content? There's nothing wrong with being content Unless God is asking us for something else to do, okay. And so let's look at what Jesus says to the contented church or the church at ease. The first thing I think He says is in verse fourteen. He says, "Look at your Lord." Look at verse fourteen. To the angel of the latest sins, the church of the latest sins, write these things. Says the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation. Of God. See, Jesus says, look at me, all right? And then he describes himself. Realize Jesus is writing this, uh, or telling John to write this to these churches, and he's the one speaking. He says, I am the Amen. Amen says, let it be so, Lord. Okay? He is the truth. He is truth incarnate. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Absolute truth rests in Jesus Christ. He says, I'm the faithful and true witness. Uh, everything he did was faithful to what God said. And when he says something to us, we need to pay attention. When he says there's a problem to fix, there's a problem to fix. He's a faithful and true witness. He says he's the originator of creation. I think that he's having to, r- to remind these Laodiceans of some basic things about who Jesus is and the truth that he spoke. Okay, Now, you say, why would he have to say these things? It wasn't because it was too good to be true. it's because it was too awful to be true. And so he's having to remind them, look, here's some problems, all right? And we need to ask, you know, uh, when Jesus gives us a message, are we willing to hear it? Or do we, like they, say, no, I'm okay, leave me alone, pass on by? Okay, because they were not known uh, for doing what was right. So he says, first of all, look at your Lord. How do we apply that to us today? Always, always, Christians need to look to their Lord to see where we're at spiritually. We need to look to Jesus to see uh, what he has to say about our spiritual lives. Now, you see, I don't know about you, but, you know, there's a running joke at my house, okay? I think I'm pretty calm, pretty laid back. Yeah, you all are laughing too, see? And I thought I was a laid-back one of the family, and, and my kids and my wife tell me that I am delusional, okay? And so I've decided I wasn't looking with the right eyes, okay? And I'm starting to realize that more and more, and the more people that laugh, the more I realize that, okay? But what that tells me is I have to look at myself the way Jesus looks at me. And spiritually, we all need to do that. When he looks at us, what does he see? What would his message be to us tonight as a church? What would he say to us as a church? And when he said it, would we really hear it and do something about it? Or would we sort of do like the layover to see in church and eh, not so much? Okay, and we have to answer that. Are we looking to our Lord? Okay. He is the amen, the truth, the faithful and true witness, the originator of creation, The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, and He alone is the head of the church, and He alone has a right to speak to us. What I want us to remember is this. Jesus is telling them this because He loves them. He's telling them this to bring about the best in their lives. He's telling them this because if they change, He has blessings, and that's why He would tell us the same thing. The second thing that I see, not only look to your Lord, in verses 15 and 16, he reminds us, your Lord is looking at you. Oh, my. He says it this way. I know your works. Jesus knows what we're about. Individually as Christians and as a church. He says, I know your works. And then he describes them. That you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot some translations say I will spew you out of my mouth the greek says I will vomit you out of my mouth you see their condemnation it it <clears throat> you see of all the churches that are mentioned in this the seven churches of the revelation this church receives the greatest condemnation and all the other churches, Jesus would say, I know your works. And he'd give them something good about them. This is the only church that receives no praise from the Lord. And I'm thinking, oh my, what, what, what's going on? And what's really going on, you'll notice some things. They're not condemned because of doctrinal heresy. Their doctrine must have been okay. They're not condemned because of a lack of love. We told uh, the church at Ephesus, you do all these great things, but you've blessed your first love. They're not condemned for a lack of love. They're not condemned for immoral li- living like some of the others that said that that, that uh, uh, they were immoral. You see, but they're condemned because they're lukewarm. Neither hot, freezing cold, or or boiling hot. They're neither one. They're just middle of the road. They're just lukewarm. I think we'd call it tepid in our day. In other words, they're simply content with the way things are. For me personally, that reminds me, you know, that just because I like it a certain way doesn't mean that's the best way. I'm a creature of habit. I didn't realize how much a creature of habit I was till the grandkids come. And then the world is turned upside down. And Elizabeth says, I don't handle that very well. Okay? And we need to understand that I believe this church liked things the way they were and they were going to maintain the status quo. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the status quo unless it interferes with us doing what Jesus would have for us to do. Okay? And so we need to ask, how many today would be like this church? And Jesus would say, you're neither hot nor cold. Now, Cold means frozen, hot means boiling, uh, but they're lukewarm. And he wishes they were one way or the other, okay? Now, I often wondered why this was such a bad thing just to be lukewarm. Charles Barclay in his commentary, said that the risen Christ unsparingly condemns this attitude because it is indifference, okay? It says, what is wrong with indifference? You see... Of all the things indifference is the hardest thing to combat in a church. If a man feels intensely about something, he either hates it or he loves it, you have a chance to change his direction. But if he's indifferent about it, he doesn't care and you can't change anything. It's like the old uh, old parable about the frog in the kettle. Have you heard about the frog in the kettle? I think some of you have probably heard that one. And what it is, he if you if you Drop a frog into a boiling water, if it doesn't kill him immediately, he's going to jump out. But if you just put him in there and he's just sort of tepidly warm or lukewarm, he'll just get nice and cozy. If you just slowly turn up the heat, he won't try to move. He'll let himself be boiled. Okay? And that's what's wrong with being lukewarm. It's indifference. Okay? You see, the one impossible attitude about Christianity is... Uh, neutrality we should feel this way about something or that way about something you see uh, those that yell and scream and holler uh, it's easier to calm them down than it is to try to liven up do we understand that Okay, Uh, you know, somebody can be really the opposite side of the fence with me, but at least if they care about something passionately, they'll discuss it, maybe argue about it, whatever, but at least you know where they stand and you have that chance of praying with them and teaching them and maybe changing them to be that way towards another direction. But if they just don't care, if they're indifferent, if they're contented with the way things are, you cannot change that person. And if a church is contented, then it leads to real danger. Um, get to go to a lot of conferences, Brother Galen does too, and they talk about church growth and they talk about this and that. And uh, One of the things that, th- that we're finding out, the reason that 80% of Southern Baptist churches are plateaued or declining is because of that one thing there. Everybody likes it the way it was. They can come in, they can show them, look, you ha- you haven't, you baptized 20 last year, but you haven't really grown because you lost 20, okay? Or your neighborhood is changing and you're not reaching your neighborhood. Or uh, they'll say, you know, you, you've got to do something a little bit different here, a little bit different there to get younger folks in because you're a great church, but you're all gray-headed and in 10 years, a lot of you aren't going to be here anymore, Okay? And inevitably, the guys I talk to, I don't know about the ones Brother Galen talked to, about 90% of those churches aren't willing to do anything about what they're told. No, we'll we'll just stay the same. We'll keep the doors open. Somehow, we'll keep the doors open. But the problem with that attitude is, I don't find that in New Testament Scripture. Jesus says, this is my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Gates are not an offensive weapon. Gates are a defensive weapon. We said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It means the church is attacking Satan's kingdom wherever God has planted a church. It's warfare. It's out and out. Get with it. And so we need to remember, like this church need to remember, that really Jesus is looking at us. Now... I think there's a little bit of, of I don't want to say wordplay, but there's there's a little bit of a message here that we don't really understand. Okay, You see, in Heropolis, which was, was sister city to Laodicea, they're all in the Lycus River Valley. If you went to Heropolis, it's at the top end and the water flows down. And Heropolis was famous for hot springs like Hot Springs, Arkansas, and they, people would come to soak in the springs or, or to get the water, and it, it was supposed to be healthy for you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But by the time that it went downhill and got to Laodicea, it was no longer hot. It was lukewarm. And it had picked up enough sediment and stuff. By the time it got down there, it was no longer clear. It was dirty colored. And it was known for a fact That if you drank a bunch of that tepid, dirty water, it would make you sick. You would want to throw up. And so what Jesus is saying is, look, you think everything's like this, but you're on this downhill slide, and I really want to vomit you out of my mouth. You see, he goes on and says, "Uh, look, have you done anything about what you're supposed to be doing? Okay. He's saying... uh, Sleepy bench warmers are not enough for the living Lord. Okay? Because they weren't impacting their city for Christ. They had plenty of money. Think about that. You can have all the money that your church needed to do all the ministries you want to do, and they weren't doing it. They thought they were okay. They thought things were great. And if things were really great, then why did Jesus say such an obnoxious thing to this church? because it wasn't really great. Um, For instance, uh, a certain large church in South Arkansas, and I mean a large church, okay, with a multi-million dollar budget, and uh, I talked uh, to one of my friends who had sort of interned there right out of uh, seminary, and and he was distraught, and I asked him why he was distraught. He said, well, you know, we've got like a $2.5 million budget, okay, at that time. Uh, the city has shrunk since then, so I'm sure they don't have that now. And he said, and we reached two people for Jesus. We baptized two people last year, okay? And uh, you can blame it on whatever. You know, the, the city was in flux, okay? And in flux, I mean, minorities were moving in, and... Uh, Caucasians were moving out you You get the picture of what's going on, okay, but rather than reaching their community or starting other churches or doing some other things, they huddled up and stopped the bus ministries, stopped all kinds of stuff, and slowly but surely they stagnated, and they reached two people, and those were two kids in the church Now I don't know about you, but to have two point five million dollars in budget and not be doing some kind of outreach. Uh, That is what you call a satisfied church. Got quiet in here, shouldn't have. So Jesus says, look at your Lord. Then he says, your Lord is looking at you. And then in verses 17 through 20, he says, look at your needs. This church didn't think they needed anything. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined with fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye sad that you may see. As many as I love I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if you one hears my voice, And opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has ear to ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see, he says, look at your needs. And so he begins what they need to correct. The church had what they thought they needed. Plenty of money, plenty of people. Nice clothes, everything that they thought that they needed. But Jesus said they were spiritually blind. They couldn't see that they had needs. Okay? You see, I think they had to see their needs, that their fine clothing wasn't fine unless they had deeds to go along with it. Okay? Uh, they thought that because they had the eye salve that went around the world and they didn't have any other needs, that Jesus said, you can't even see what you need from me. Okay? In other words, are we depending on other things to prop us up rather than Jesus' Holy Spirit? And you see, they needed to see that Jesus cared. The harsh words were because he, he, he loved them. He wanted the best for them. That's what he wants for us. And he says here, I've got to find it. Um, you don't know that you're wretched, miserable, blind. I can't you buy from me gold refined with fods, You may be rich and white garments. You may be clothed. I uh, what your eyes have that you may see, as many as I love. In verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Now, the word love there changes from what a lot of times is used from, from agape, which is agape in agape-type love, to phileo. It means the warmest, most tender affection. Jesus, wooing this church, says, I still love you. I still want to have fellowship with you. I still want to, to draw you in. I still want you to be right next door to me. But you have to repent. You have to buy this stuff that you need from me. You see, we need to understand that Jesus wants us to be all that we can be. And we do that by looking at our needs and doing something about it. You see, how does this sermon affect us? You see, we need to ask, is our contentment based on Jesus being content? with us or is it based on us being content with ourselves see one of the questions that I always ask is Jesus or am I making you happy have you ever thought about that that the Lord takes pleasure in his children and just like we take pleasure in our children and grandchildren and and when they do well we're we're proud and have you ever asked Jesus do you feel that way about us Jesus About me, Jesus? Just a question. You see, we had to open up again or anew to the Lordship of Christ. Okay? Uh, You say, well, how do I know I need to do that? When was the last time you felt really, really excited by what God was doing in your life and the church's life? When was the last time that you felt so bubbly that an amen slipped out? Or praise the Lord slipped out. Or you felt heaven come down because the song was so great you got goosebumps. Okay. Or your Sunday school class. And I hope you're telling your Sunday school teachers how good they are because they prepare so much and they work so hard. And 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 when was the last time you were studying that Sunday school lesson and you just can't wait to get here because you want to know what God's going to teach you today? Come to, come to the senior class, okay? And see, if you don't have those feelings, then why not? Okay? When was the last time that uh, you were so moved that what kept you up at night was that you knew somebody was not saved? Do you realize that we have unsaved people in our services just about every Sunday? And it bothers me because I think, how can you sit there? But they do. Do you realize that we have young people that other churches would die to have in our church? Are we praying for them? Are we excited about that? I just giggle at what Galen has to put up with, but you know, he says that's not funny. But they are troubled. Their home lives are terrible. Are we excited about what God wants to do with them? The last thing, I think, is look at the promise. Uh, The consequence is this. Only those who overcome will rule with Jesus. In other words... Soldiers on the front line win decorations and honor. Okay. We're supposed to be on the front line. But. You see. The message for us is that. He will listen. See we use that verse all the time. That I read. About evangelism. Behold I stand at the door and knock. If anyone. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And yet, in the context, it's used of the church. Jesus knocking on the door. Now, I don't know about you, but why would Jesus have to knock on the door of the church? Have you thought about that? Why do you knock on a door, people? Do what? There's no door handle. Somebody locked a the door. They kept you outside. Now, is that sort of shocking that you call a Laodicea a church and yet Jesus is the one knocking to get in? They don't and yet, all around the United States, there are churches, not just Baptist churches, where Jesus is knocking and said, Remember me? I'm here. Are you going to open the door? And the promise is anyone that will, any church that will, he'll come in. We'll dine with him and be with him. And so, what do we do? I've said it. You pray. You ask Jesus, are we too contented? Or are you contented with us? Pleased with us? Do we need renewal? Do we need fresh energizing? Yeah, I'm excited. Or is it... Oh my. It's church time again. I hope... You enjoy church like I enjoy church. Brother lay Rose asked me one time. I come in whistling and singing. What are you so happy about? I'm happy because I get to be with God's people. I'm happy because God does special things when we are together. I'm happy to see what God is up to in your lives. Because every once in a while when we gather together. He pulls back the curtain and we see just a little bit of heaven in our church. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Maybe you're here tonight and you're so burdened over the cares of your life. And you have a lot of cares that are very serious and need to be addressed. Maybe you need to come and really turn those burdens over to the faithful witness, the amen, the truth. And ask him for help. Maybe you're here and you need to come in rededication and say, you know, it's not that I've been out here Doing a lot of stuff. I just feel like my relationship's not what it needs to be. And I I want to be on fire. And I want Jesus to be able to use me. And I just want to feel the joy of my salvation. And you want to come and ask at this altar for God to do that. If you're not a Christian. Maybe you need to accept Christ. Or if you're not a member here. And you know this is where God wants you. Maybe you need to become a member here. By baptism or letter or statement. How we receive members. but Whatever you need to do. Do it tonight. Because... Our Lord is looking at us, and we're to look to Him. Father God, this is your time. It's holy time because you're here. And Father, uh, forgive me when I'm too contented with the way things are, and you would have them change. Father, forgive all of us for that. Let us make the decisions that would be pleasing and lift up the name of Jesus. Let Him be glorified in our midst. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.